the way. Right, quick question, Kelvin. Have <laughs> have people been um, treating you differently in public? Some. Somewhat. I mean, even my next door neighbors are treating me different. Like, like I said, I live in a. I live. I, I promise you guys. When I say, um, you know, we live in a nice area, etc., and we, I will be walking my children through the neighborhood. Cars will drive by that live four houses down from me and will not wave at me. This situation happened, and now I'm getting waves and smiles. As if I haven't been living here. Dude. Like July will be, you know what I mean? It's Dad's Night. Welcome to episode two of our mini series on Dad's Night Presents Time Out with Omar and Samra. Another great episode ahead with two very close friends of ours who will be making their second appearance on Dad's Night. Before getting into it, Omar, how are you feeling tonight? It's Double Dad's Night, our first one. Uh, so that's exciting. That's new for us. Uh, it feels weird looking at four faces on the screen uh, at the same time, to be honest. <laughs> but now I'm, I'm excited. I mean, like you said, we've had uh, both of these guests on. Um, previously, separately, and uh, I love, I mean, their episodes were two of my favorite ones, so uh, let's do it. Hell yeah. Well, uh, let's get into it. So we have Kelvin, the original dad, right? So that's what we called him in the first episode. And then we have our good friend, Isaiah Ruff, who I've known for pretty much my whole life, uh, goes by Ruff. So thanks for joining, guys. How are you guys feeling? Feeling good, man. Feeling good, man. Thanks for uh, the second invite back. We had we had a good time, man. And, uh, you know, obviously, um, considering the circumstances and kind of the topic that we're talking about today, uh, you know, it's 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 always good to catch up, but it's also more important to kind of learn about what's going on. And so, as you guys know, part of this mini series, what we wanted to talk about and talk to are black dads of what's going on within the community, within America today. Um, so we really wanted to start diving into it, right? And I think there's a lot to cover. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll get into it, right? So Kel, initial reactions, right? So we have the whole George Floyd murder that happened. Um, what were some of your initial reactions um, to all of that? Um, I think my initial reaction to the George Floyd mur murder, especially when I saw it, um, you know, I, I felt pain, I felt, you know, upset, um, but I wasn't as outraged as I think everybody else was because like this has been going on. Um, I was, I think I was more so surprised by the amount of people that were outraged as if this was the first time that a black man has been murdered. Um, I honestly was more outraged with Ahmaud Arbery. Um, who was jogging and was murdered by citizens for jogging. I think that was a, a first for me um, that I was aware of or seen in my lifetime. And um, it was just like, I think I was, you know, I live in a, you know, affluent area in Georgia. Um, you know, I'm not around a lot of people from my community. I'm young, I'm black, I'm, I'm, I have a lot of tattoos. So I already didn't feel comfortable running or jogging. And 
once the Ahmaud Aubrey uh, murder took place, I felt even more uncomfortable jogging without constantly having my head on a swivel. Wow. And yeah, that's that's not even right off the bat. I mean, it's something that I, I wouldn't even consider, you know, it's like, I, and I totally understand that perspective of, okay, this is not the first time. I mean, this happens even since George Floyd died, there have been more black men that have been murdered by police officers. Like that, it, this is a, this has been an ongoing thing since Jim Crow. Um, but uh, just to hear, you know, that, that you yourself, you know, it, it directly affects how you like interact with the community that you work so hard to, to get to um, is, I mean, that's just such a wild thing to hear, man. Thank you for sharing that. For sure. And what, what about you, Ruff? Uh, I know Kel just shared his initial reactions. Was it kind of the same feeling, a little different? What were kind of your initial reactions and thoughts? Um. Well, I'm always a little apprehensive to watch videos anyway when they're circling around and I know that I'm about to see, um, you know, a black person get killed on camera. So you never come out the other end of a video feeling better. Um, but after watching it, I think I realized why a lot of people were instantly outraged and I never wanted to jump through my phone more to kind of uh, combat that evil. I mean, I don't know what I would have done in that situation, but um, yeah, I, I think I was, I was enraged really. And uh, first just, you know, hearing this man basically cry out for his life, crying to his deceased mother um, saying, I can't breathe. And the man had his knee on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. I mean, everyone knows the story, but then coming to find out that there were other, another three officers holding him down as well, that was just like the icing on the, on the cake. I was like, it's, you know, obviously a senseless murder. Um, but I think that it's the first time that um, I would say non-Black folk have seen or actually um what i'm trying to say is they're they're actually agreed that it was a senseless murder and i when i say that you know there's other cases where um you know they're saying oh the kid had a toy gun so the officer had to react or the man was reaching for something so the officer had to react or um you know he feared for his life but in this case literally you had a defenseless man and it was just, like I said, a senseless murder. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was just initially just upset and, and enraged. And, uh, yeah, I guess we'll get into the specifics. Yeah. yeah so so that, that outrage then eventually, I mean, not eventually, almost immediately manifested into protests, not only uh, around the country, but around the world, um, which you know, which is crazy. I mean, uh, something like this, I can't remember in my lifetime that sparked global, immediate global outrage. Um, and there are crimes against humanity happening on a daily basis everywhere. And, um, you know, it, this really, this was different. Um, and, and if you disagree with that, please, please tell me. But I felt from, from an outsider's perspective, I mean, I felt like this was different, but 
Ruff, how did you feel about the protest? What were your initial reactions on uh, on the protests? I know you're in, you're close to Baltimore, so not too different from what's been going on in D.C. for sure. Yeah, um, I mean, I it, it was definitely expected, and and kind of going back to my point, I don't think it was the fact that it was you know George Floyd, but it, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, seeing it in that manner. Um, someone who was defenseless. And I think that America finally woke up and was like, oh my God, that was, that was wrong. You know, there's no way to justify that. And, um, you know, there was definitely controversy around, oh, these people are protesting and the protesting of course turns to rioting. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm with, I'm with it all. There's, there's no, um, I feel like black people have no other way to get the message across. If you feel pain and if you're tired, there's, there's only so many reactions that you can have and trying to be peaceful about it is, is probably not one of those reactions. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, I'm not saying I condone the writing, but it was definitely justified in my opinion. Yeah, and, and on, the, on the other side of it too, by the way, so I went down to the, um, uh, that first weekend, not this past weekend, but that first weekend, um, you know, down to 16th Street where uh, the mayor of DC had Black Lives Matter painted all down um, 16th Street leading up to the White House. So. I went down there, man, and I mean, it was, there was like 100,000 people down there, and I, if you, I, I was telling Samra this too, and I'm sure I've mentioned this to like everybody that I talked to about it, but if you have lost faith in humanity at any point during all of this, you go down to one of those protests, and it will be restored. People are taking care of each other. People are handing out masks, free water tents, uh, like street medics just pulling up in their trucks willing to help people. I mean... It was an insane display of togetherness. Uh, and I'm already just like a generally pessimistic and like negative person usually. And so I need, I almost needed that. Like I went down there and it, it, I mean, it was, it was a really uplifting experience. So I wanted to note that where, cause I know, I mean, there were, there were things did turn into riots and looting and, and, but you know, from what I saw, I mean, it was just a really, really beautiful display of togetherness. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's cool. Like what you said, Rob, I mean, your your opinion on it was rioting was the only thing that would get people's attention. Right. And I was kind of in the same boat. You know, I talked about like being Middle Eastern culture. Right. We yeah, <laughs> it's like the first thing we do is rioting. Um, so, you know, and it was like a few a few scenarios, but I think it did speak volumes. Um, Kelvin, like, were you kind of thinking the same thing in that respect? Like, Hey, these protests, they're good. However, you know, how, how much can we peacefully protest before people start listening to actually what's happening? Well, I think, I definitely think the protest, um, you know, did what they were supposed to do and are doing what they're supposed to do as far as, you know, um, you know, bringing energy towards this situation. Um, uh, but I also think there's a, and I'm not trying to be, you know, negative or anything like that, but it's just like, you know, I've, 
I've been conscious of what's going on out here in my communities in the United States for as long as I can remember because I had to be. So, like I said, the George Floyd death, it was tragic. It, I felt, you know, like I said, I felt pain. I, I was upset. I was scared. Um, but I just wasn't surprised by it. Like I said, I was surprised by the, the amount of the public, you know, getting behind it. But I also think that was because of the situation we're in. There's no sports. Um, there's nothing else on TV to watch. Um, people aren't traveling. People aren't. They're stuck in their homes. They are trying to stay clean and away from the coronavirus. This is the only other thing news-wise that isn't the coronavirus that people have been talking about for months. Um, you know, God works in mysterious ways and this was that perfect storm um, because I think if the NBA playoffs were taking place, if NFL draft was going on and all of these other items, this would be no different from Tamir Rice, who was a child shot by a police officer um, for having a toy gun in a park. Uh, and the police officer asked him to put down the gun and immediately shot him several times. So, like I said, these stories just aren't new. Um, I just think that this was the perfect storm for the world to be made aware of what's been going on um, since the inception of this country. So true. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, actually, that's actually a good point that I had never even thought of, right? Like that, that idea of, hey, there's nothing else going on, so we can actually start focusing on this. So do you guys think um, if there were those playoffs, like this probably maybe wouldn't have been a big deal? It would have just been another senseless killing that happened, and it's kind of like, oops, uh, we'll kind of figure this out later? 100% agree. 100, that's, how, that's 100% how I feel. I agree with Kelvin as well. And I, I think that a lot of times um, cases like this get brought up and then, you know, they kind of just disintegrate after a week or so. Um, like I, you don't hear about, you haven't heard about Ahmaud Arbery in a while. You haven't heard about, you know, there's a list of, of names and, you know, People get rallied up, they get hyped, people try to make change. Um, and then the country kind of just shifts back into the regular day-to-day -day operation. Meanwhile, you know, we're still dealing with being black every day. And mm -hmm. it's something that we're, we're constantly faced with. And um, yeah. And I, and I will also say I will also say this, like, um, you know, and I'll ask you, Ruff, you know, what's been a shift for you? Because me and me and Ruth personally, one thing that I know I've shifted because of this. So I'm not, I'm not trying to sit up here and say, um, if if this would have happened and the playoffs were taking place, would I have made a shift? I probably would have fell right into the man. You know, another brother just got killed um, by the police and another name to the list, you know, what can we do? But no, like, because of this, you know, when the, um, uh, when the, when the like the pre-voting took place um, and I had the opportunity to vote down in Georgia, 
this was the first time that I didn't just go to the voting polls and then just pick names. Mm-hmm. Like me and Ruth were up for hours. Like I'm talking late at night on, you know, potential candidates, um, Instagrams, looking at their websites, reading about uh, what they um, are focusing on, what their plan is for funding, uh, talking to each other about, uh, well, I like this person, but they don't have much of a following. And this person has, you know, uh, this pa- this person backing them up. So, I mean, it'd probably be a wasted vote if we just went with this person and X, Y, Z. So we made a lot, we made a more conscious decision to uh, you know, invest time into um, the things that we, you know, do believe will move the needle. Um, you know, against the system. That's great. No, that's that's a that's a good perspective. Ruff, what do you think? Yeah, as far as um, I think you were saying you were you were talking about um, the shift, right? Like, if you didn't have this time, and and if the NBA Finals were on, then you might not have had as much um, time and uh, energy to put attention towards doing that and you might have just gone and picking yeah i i mean i I completely agree with that and um i mean i'm not i'm not really sure i think that i think that this time around like you said it's the perfect storm and i feel like way more steps are being taken in terms of laws being changed um in terms of Thanks again for joining another episode of Time Out with Omar and Samer. We know you probably have your hands full at home these days between your kids whiling out on all your Zoom meetings and taking another long walk to the fridge. So if you're thinking about starting a podcast, the easier the better. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free and there are creation tools that will allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And now it's back to timeout. So again, we're just now getting the waves. Neighbors are just now stopping by talking. Um, and it's like, it's almost like we moved in the neighborhood and they were like, their, their thought process was, oh, our neighborhood's about to go down in value because mm. black people are moving in. And we'll get into those stereotypes of probably why they felt like that. So, but yeah. That's a great question. Yeah, right? I just, I just said that I had to ask that question. Um, just going back to changes that I'm actually seeing. Um, but just real quick from a day to day, I feel like since the George Floyd case happened and since, you know, the protests have been going on, I feel like people specifically white people have been um, overly friendly, almost going out of their way to wave um as if makes me almost feel like i have a handicap or something i don't know how to explain it i don't know if it's quite comfortable but i I understand where it's coming from um but i I just thought that was something notable to say uh so as far as changes i mean i think that we're seeing them like i was saying laws are being passed um, people are actually starting to do research on the history 
um, of this country, how this country was built, people are actually um, having their opinions challenged, which is causing them to really go back and, and research some of the things that they may have been taught or the way that they may have thought their entire life. So, um, I mean, it's a shame that it takes all of this just to, you know, not have racist opinions or to be a racist or to um, know the history of another culture, especially black culture in America. But um, I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic about everything. Yeah, and that's just real quick too. I think it's really, I think my optimism is, it's very tough for me to be optimistic a little bit because like when you, we keep talking about history, right? And again, we were slaves three, 400 years. Um, and, you know, 60, 70 years ago, we were fighting for the right to be a whole human. You know, a lot of people didn't even realize like, you know, black people were considered three fifths of a human being. So, and like you're talking for centuries, um, so to have people get away from that process or even when I get on Facebook, I have no clue why I'm getting on Facebook. And I see people say crazy things like, you know, the police were created to protect and serve and, you know, you need to honor those behind the badge. And it's like, and again, I'm just looking at it like, and I don't expect the people to know why the police were created but like the police were created to originally capture runaway slaves and prevent slave riots from occurring. That is where the inception of policing came from. Um, and just, you know, for folks that don't know that, have no clue, you know, folks that don't know that versus when you tell them that or when they learn it, those that might be listening and be like, oh, I don't believe that. Well, then when you Google it and it, you see it's true, then you come to understand why there's a systemic problem between police and the black community. And that's why when we say systemic racism or the system is broken, it's exactly what we're talking about. And, and, and I think that, oh, sorry, go ahead, Rob. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I think that word specifically is very important when we talk about these things. Uh, it's, these are not one-off cases. These are a result of like an ethos of an entire country that was created, you know, however many hundred years ago. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a, you know, I, I don't remember the date exactly, but 1770-something, um, whatever. And... The, you know, the, these are, when you think about it, the foundations of what was created. And, you know, to shake that or to change that is, it's not as easy as, you know, going to protest or like a few laws being changed when those, those laws are not addressing the, that foundation, you know, and, and what everything was built on. So I think that word is really important, systemic, and, and that people understand um that that's a part of of your perspective and how you're talking about this for a reason for a very good reason at that for sure yeah, i think there's a disconnect some people just don't understand when they say oh you know some they'll be like oh slavery was 
Um, I've seen this on, on Facebook. I try to stay off it as well, but people are like, almost as if we're supposed to just get over it because they say, when they say, you know, it was 400 years, they, they're acting as if it was 400 years ago, but no, this is very recent and the repercussions of what happened still affects black people and their day-to-day life. So you can't just get over, you know, you can't get over slavery, especially when all of the, um, you know, effects are still happening to us. Yeah, I think you, you bring up a really good point, bro. So like when I think about the effects that are still happening, so when I used to visit my cousins down in Alabama, you know, they lived in a rural area, but you know, well below the poverty line. Um, when we used to see the Confederate flag flying on the truck, like we took off running like hell. And this was from a young age. I had to learn um, why I why I needed why as a black man or a black boy, you know, we needed to stay away from the Confederate flag and what that meant. And it's like, you know, just there's, there's people like it's not taught in history class in high school or middle school that the Civil War was literally about slavery. So for people that don't realize the Confederate flag and what that means when someone's flying it, um, it means that they were, you know, they still represent a time and day uh, when this country was, you know, not just for slavery, but people were willing to die to maintain slavery because it meant maintaining their wealth. Wow. Damn, that's, and you know, one thing that I actually just learned is like the Confederacy only lasted like five years, I think I recently read, or four years, something like that. So, you know, you're talking about something way bigger than a lot of people understand, right? Like, Kelvin, I think you touched on a good point here, right? The wealth behind that, the wealth behind the systematic oppression of black people. And I know, you know, I talked to you a little bit about some of this, uh, but clearly I don't know enough. And so one of the things that we wanted to uncover is that historical component of it, right? Like, what does that actually mean? So uh, could you break that down a little bit further for us? Yeah, I mean, again, something a lot of folks might not even realize. This is something, you know, I learned in the last, you know, year or two, like the financial market in itself was um, was created from slavery. Like slaves were the first commodity traded. Slaves were the first commodity insured by major, by insurance companies. So like um, MetLife Insurance, you know, whatever that company was before, um, that company literally made its riches off of insuring slaves in transit. You know, so slave owner or slave owners used to, you know, buy future contracts and, you know, in the event that they lost 20% of their assets, you know, at sea, they still got paid off of those um, insurance companies. Um, that's one, you know, swim lane to kind of go about. But the second major swim lane is to talk about what wealth and slavery is when and I want to say this first, like nobody's over here complaining about wealth or what we don't have, what we didn't have. You know, that's why I like Ruff so much because 
he's out here going to go get it for his family and for the future. And, and I know there's several of us that are like that, that have that same mindset. But, but when you have an entire race of people that were living in this country that could not own land, um, when land and homes are the essential foundation of building wealth, you know, in a capitalist society that puts them at a disadvantage or when you have a an entire race of people whose land is devalued just because a lot of them live there. This is called redlining. They don't which have is still pretty, Which is still pretty recent, by the way. I mean, 100%. Like red, redlined, redlined zones, um, even just, you know, in, in this area, I mean, it's, it's fairly recent where mortgage companies would just straight up deny uh, a loan application based on on those sections, you know, that, that's a very recent practice. Like, I, and I, I wanted to note that because that's not so far removed from, from present day at all. 100%, I mean, and you know, I'm trying to get in the real estate, you know, lane right now, and I'm applying to get, when I apply to get pre-approved for mortgages, this was pre-COVID, you know, my financial advisor told me, who's also a black man and who's doing extremely well, Kelvin, you only apply for a second mortgage online. And under no circumstance do you go in a bank and apply for a second mortgage. Why? Because the interest rate will be higher for you um, and your loan requirements will be a, a lot steeper than, than someone who's Caucasian or someone from uh, Indian or Asian descent. Um, just because you're black, you need to fill out that application online so that the only thing they can look at is your credit score, how much you make, and what those numbers look like, you eliminate uh, this color of your skin through that online application. Wow. Damn. That's so it's deep. It's deep, man. You know what I'm saying? It's really deep. Yeah, and I think it's, it's critical to bring up these, right? So, like, you know, Omar and I, basically Middle Eastern, Asian descent, right? And so we've never had to experience things like this, right? And we're, we're foreigners. Right. And so I think it's critical to point out some of these things like never in a million years would I have thought like, oh, I'm going to go get another mortgage. Like my dad always went to the bank. Right. Like and y'all know my dad. Right. Middle Eastern guy. And so never in a million years would I be even aware of the idea that like I could be charged more just by the way I look because I've never experienced it. And I think those are the things that we need to highlight and be conscious of and aware of and talk about because you know we'll never know what that's like ever like i don't care what it is like we'll never yeah. know what that's like and so pointing out these types of things and these types of again systematic disadvantages is so critical important to be talking about yeah. yeah, just in, in that same vein, Samer, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I know a lot of, I'm Pakistani, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm Pakistani American, I was born in the States, raised all over, but I mean, I'm a, I'm a culturally American. And, um, you know, I, a lot of people that grew up, uh, grew up in this country um, who are kids of immigrants or even immigrants, they identify to causes like this. Um, because of the countries that they come from, oftentimes, you know, third world, uh, forget about voting, that doesn't even exist in, in these places, you know what I mean? Like, 
uh, that's so so we tend to identify with with struggles like this but also brown people need to relax a little bit and realize that they have not experienced what black people experience in this country um, so that tone I don't always like when I when I hear it and it's like there's a lot of we being thrown around and it's like this is not we we don't know uh, we need to find out and we need to help however we can but the immigrant experience, although it can present setbacks and, you know, post 9-11, for sure, elements of, I mean, definitely just overt racism, uh, definitely, but which I, I experienced myself firsthand. The, I came back to the States for high school the year September 11th happened. Um, and like only, you know, one of a few brown kids at that school. So mm. I, I get where these people are coming from, but I think it's important to note that, that we don't know. You guys know. And, and you are the ones that we should be talking to and, and really like hearing from and um, making sure that we really get that perspective. And that's why I love Kelvin that you're bringing up a lot of the history because um, you know, I'm a, I'm a history nerd myself and, and it's really cool to hear uh, a lot of these things um, kind of brought up in a, in a historical context as well. So I hope we keep doing that throughout this conversation for sure. Cool. Nah, um, and I think uh, one thing that, just touching again on that point, is like, yeah, we face race, like, you know, I faced some racism, my family faced some racism, but it wasn't systematic, right? Which I think is the bigger issue here uh, that I clearly don't understand, right? And I don't think a lot of people will understand. So, um, nah, seriously, glad, glad we're bringing this up. So I think.